Hello. Welcome to the old boys book club. Beep, 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 beep. It's perfectly true that I have had some drugs. Um, buses. You make models of buses. I make models of buses. I, I stand by what I said. You didn't feel bad. I stand okay, by what I said. Urge uh, my friends and colleagues to look carefully at what I wrote. Things that, that I've said that are wrenched out of out of context of uh, 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 buses. I have concluded that person cannot be me. Old boys. Hello and welcome to series one, episode one of the Old Boys Book Club. My name is Johnny, and my name is Andy, and we are here to discuss the Old Boys. We're excited to discuss the old boys. We're excited to discuss the old boys because we are both anthropologists, I we think are. it's fair to say, oh. trained. Um, Semi-fair. Yeah, we've both got certificates that would uh, <laughs> prove that uh, claim. And um, the job of the anthropologist, I guess, is to uh, is to analyse and explore different groups within societies. Well, to understand the world through various cultures. Yeah, and we're living in the golden age of the old boy right now. It's we fair are. to say. We've hit peak old boy. We've, we have. We've got an old boy king on the throne. I think, yeah, <laughs> on, on all the thrones, really. Well, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, on both sides of the Atlantic, we've got very much got old boys in charge. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're a fascinating group, fascinating society, because I think it's fair to say 2008, you possibly could have been forgiven for thinking the age of the old boy was over. It seemed like they'd had their heyday, had their time in the sun, yeah, uh, there was there were the still the relics of the kind of new labour, which was a, yeah. a sort of like reaction to the old boys. Yeah, um, still coming through, and it seemed like you know the banking crisis, everything, or the the end of the old boy. Everything yeah. that they built, their empires were crumbling. Yeah, Obama was elected. <laughs> yeah, defeating John McCain, a, a solid example. Just a of classic it. old boy. <laughs> and, uh, uh, died in the world, old boy, yeah. through and through. Uh, and uh, yeah, we we all thought that era was over, but boy, have they come back with a vengeance! They've been stewing, yeah, and not for that long, to be honest. They've been, they've been out of the sun. <laughs> they've been in the old boy. Uh, I was going to say caves, but obviously man caves they yeah. call them. And yeah. Uh, yeah, they've been stewing and plotting, and and now they are back with a vengeance. And, and boy, are they back! Yeah, and I guess the purpose, the mission statement of this podcast is primarily to focus on the writings of the old boys, because I think. It's the best way to understand them. It's a, it's a good way to understand them. It gives us a lot of insight into their worldview, uh, how they're going to govern us, how they're going to treat us going forwards. And there's no way they can be misconstrued. No. It's, it's so intentional. You, you can take a speech out of context or, on either side of the political spectrum. Yeah. But this is a, these are books that have been published yeah. that they've signed off on because yeah. they've created them. <laughs> yeah. And, and, so, and sadly, in the, in the case of many that we look at, other people have signed off on as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is sad. Which I think probably, exposes yeah. the network of the old boys. Yeah. But much more truly than anyone really imagines. <laughs> um, but this is the th- this is them at their best. This is the yeah. belief of the old boy that this is the pinnacle that they have to contribute culturally. Yeah. And yeah. that's why the novel of the old boy is a great starting point for, yeah. for analysis. Yeah, because I think it's often through creative expression you get a real understanding of who a person is. Absolutely. Um, so where we're going to start, the first series of this podcast is going to be focused at the centre of the web. Ooh, it really is. The big fat house spider sitting. <laughs> sitting proudly there, taunting you over dinner. <laughs> it can move at any time, but only when you're not looking. Uh, and that is the PM, the big boy, the old boy, the OG, 
Mr. Boris of Johnson's. Mr. Boris of Johnson's. And you may you may not have been privy to this fact, but uh, our illustrious Prime Minister at the time of recording wrote a novel. He did. Well, didn't he, Andy? He well, wrote he, a bloody he, he wrote a bloody novel. He published something that was called a novel. <laughs> I think you'll draw that distinction yourselves, but yeah. uh, he he published a novel. He published a novel in two thousand and four. It's called Seventy Two Virgins. Uh, we have two copies, here, a copy each. Uh, we will be donating <laughs> the cost of the to an anti-racism charity at the end of the pod. But uh, he, we've we've read the novel. Uh, we're going to read the novel to you as a kind of unofficial audiobook during this uh, series. And we're just going to dive in and just kind of comment it as we go, try and kind of tease out what it illuminates about the man's ideology, the broader ideology of the old boy. And yeah, just kind of really get stuck into it. I think we're going to give it, I think it's important to say as well, um, we're going to give it a fair hearing. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's our review of the text as presented to us as much as possible without context. Mm. Um, of course, that seeps into it, but we want to we want to read the book that's presented and, and, and make our own views. And, and if those views happen to be so analogous to the reality of the people that wrote them in, yeah. in modern times, then then so be it. But that's not that's not the agenda of the show. No, that's not the agenda of the show. As anthropologists, we remain objective. Yeah, we try to. Uh, and so without further ado, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to get stuck into some material culture. Old boys. Right, so Andy, uh, material culture, talk my, us through it. My special subject at yeah, uh, university. Yeah, it was. So it was a way of analysing society or a culture by the objects left behind. So the objects they produce or, or retrospectively those that, that have been found and, and looking at those as sort of hallmarks and keys and keynotes for, for digging into what that society was about, what was important to them, what's represented, and then looking within an object to derive the meaning of that specific object itself. Sure. And, and that latter point's super relevant here. <laughs> so it's often said uh, that you should never judge a book by its cover, but... I assume that that was something permeated by the cover designer of this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. So... Can you talk us through the look and the feel of Boris Johnson's 72 versions? As it's looking as it's looking at you on the shelf. You're, you're a book purchaser, you're in Waterstones or an independent retailer, uh, or you're browsing online and you see 72 versions, talk us through it. Well, so you've got the spine-on version, you've got the front-on view. And yeah. The first thing to notice is they're exactly the same. It's, <laughs> it's word-heavy, it's white. And it's yeah. not white in the sense of a... A, a, a sort of Danish use of negative space. It's not, it doesn't <laughs> snap at you like a beard and a beanie and an expensive cup of coffee. Yeah. It's white in the sort of pale face, malnourished, middle-aged person that's only ever eaten ham. Yeah. And it's, it's Boris Johnson is up top, 72 virgins in blood red, inexplicably. Yeah. And then and mostly white space. Um, but for the, the, uh, the Apache attack helicopters <laughs> hovering over a sort of somewhere between a silhouette and a grey out of, um, of the Houses of Parliament with, yeah. with, big, uh, with big Ben poking his, his head around the corner. And yeah. it, it set at a jaunty tone, angle, isn't it? Isn't it? It, set, it is, The yeah. Houses of Parliament set at a jaunty angle. Yeah, as you say, we've got the, we've got the Apaches kind of Apocalypse Now style, uh, you know, hovering over, over Parliament. And I think we're, we're immediately supposed to think that well, we know we know what's what's going on here. There's it, some sort of military-style emergency in London. Yeah, it's political as well. I mean, it looks like something that was created in Word rather than <laughs> using any graphics package. Yeah. But if you take that analogy of how close it is to Apocalypse Now, sort of visually, yeah. so is the writing as far removed. Yes, and, yeah. And, and, yeah. So, and, and in a sense, 
it's a perfect summary. It's a it's yeah. a perfect front cover in that it completely surmises just yeah. how shit the novel is going <laughs> to be. But at the same time, it's disappointing. But I think my favourite thing that you turn to the back, it's, it's yeah. a list of quotes. Now, the, the narrative, the entire plot is basically laid out on the back in two paragraphs, which, yeah. which it also could have been. Yeah. Um, but then just between the top quote and the first paragraph, there's a spatter of blood. Yeah. And, and I love that. And that's not your blood. That's blood that's been no, graphically it may designed. It from my it. nose whilst yeah. reading this. But no, that, that's intentional blood. Yeah. Um, and we've got some silhouettes of some, uh, what, special forces type characters. But they're more like of, a sort of camp Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> sort of repelling down the, down the sides of the book. And, uh, and yeah, as you say, um, kind of there's, a, there's some quotes on here from various august media institutions. We've got uh, The Telegraph, The Sunday Times, The Observer, The Evening Standard. And um, I think what's interesting about these quotes is that no single journalist has decided to put their names to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the names of the institutions. Very sensible. Yeah. So and uh, I think my favourite quote is on the front. And they're right to put it on the front because it's, uh, it's the most compelling. But it's effortlessly brilliant page turner. And you read that um, prima facie and you think... Wow, okay, wonderful. Yeah. But, but I actually think the effortless refers to the writing rather than the notion of reading it. <laughs> and I think, it's, I think it's the Daily Telegraph taking a dig at their yeah. erstwhile uh, columnist. It's funny, yeah, it's funny that the Daily Telegraph should give it such a good review, isn't it? Um, I actually think the, one of the most interesting is, is The Observer, actually, because it says, Johnson scores in his comic handling of those most sensitive issues. He has written a witty page turner, and there is an ellipsis between those two sentences. <laughs> yeah. um, you can imagine there's a thousand words of critique yeah. between them. But I think, as as you'll see as we get into this, um, that is a damning indictment of whoever <laughs> was was reviewing books for the Observer in 2004, because that is when this book was written. It was 2004. Uh, at the time, Johnson was in the shadow cabinet. Mm -hmm. He was the MP for Henley at the time and he was the shadow arts minister under Michael Howard. Mm. And he was engaged in a, a four-year-long affair with a, <laughs> a columnist at The Spectator, uh, which would end in 2004, and for which he would be fired by Howard from the shadow cabinet mm. for lying about. Um, but it's not crept into the writing. <laughs> uh, other, other notable things that happened in 2004, uh, Kalisa's Milkshake. Mm? You'll know that was that was in the charts at the time. Wonderful. It was one of the biggest songs of the year. George W. Bush was obviously re-elected in 2004. Facebook was created in 2004. And uh, Boris Johnson is 40 years old at this point. I think the irony of Facebook being created and this sort of rounding off the one and a half decades between the publication of this book and Johnson's election as prime minister, it, it, there's, some, there's something neat that that's yeah. the glue that ties it all together. Yes. Yeah abused by the same yeah. parties yeah and and i think it's also important to note that he is 40 when he wrote this four zero this is not the kind of um misguided scribblings of a of a teenager <laughs> this this is the a man who's had time to think through his worldview has come to these opinions you you would consider a 40 year old man to be a grown-up well i would say that if i wrote a novel now i'd written it as an adult yeah. and certainly if i wrote and published it in, in almost another decade from now yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's absolutely in control of his faculties and his viewpoint, yeah. if not owned by them, as as just come out in the book so many times. But yeah, he's a yeah, he has a kind of racist Tourette's in his writing <laughs> style. Where he absolutely <laughs> cannot resist including some hideous epithet or, or moniker or, or descriptor. Yeah. But but nonetheless, he's an adult who's written this book. He's made his manifesto very clear. This is yeah. his view of the world. And yeah. then years later, people would ignore it and. And uh, well, not vote for him, but uh, put him into power. Yeah, but he's a man in his prime, isn't he? Absolutely. But, but not, arguably, I would say, 
not an old boy in his prime. No. I think he's very much at the start of his old boy career at this point. This is almost his initiation. Yeah. He's been hazed into the old boy club. <laughs> if you can get if you can get 326 pages of utter tribe with <laughs> racist garbage published, you're welcome. And he's only gone and done it. <laughs> he's he's seen that challenge and he's bloody raised it. He has. He's bloody raised it, mate. Before we get actually stuck into the text itself and start analysing it, bit of a trigger warning. If you don't like racism, mm. sexism, uh-huh. good writing. Good writing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if, if you like that, then um, the, this book is not for you. No, and we'll try and avoid the, uh, the, the racist terms as much as possible, but yeah. the content is still, the, the, the mm. view and tone in the book is implicit. So. Yeah, so anyway, this is, uh, yeah, Boris Johnson's 72 Virgins, published by HarperCollins, 2004. Let's get into it. 72 Virgins, Chapter 1. So Johnson splits the book into, into three parts. It's yep. Classic three-act structure. Yeah. In that there's three acts, but it's not, it's not classic in the sense that the... <laughs> One of them is significantly bigger than the others. The, 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 middle, the middle and the uh, third act um, occupy the last kind of 20 pages. Yeah. The, the scene setting, which is done completely without detail, uh, occupies the first 300 or so pages of the book. Oh, it takes so long. Takes so long for to get going. so little reward. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, here's a uh, here we go. He's part one. In part one. The Trojan ambulance. Remember, remember that Trojan mm. and ambulance. And yeah, nice little classical ref. And uh, things off. And the other kind of thing, and, and it, you know, it was referred to by by one guileless uh, <laughs> journalist as, as a pacey thriller. Mm. And I think that what he's done there is fallen into the trap of the fact that Johnson set it up like the TV show Twenty Four. Yes, he so has big influence on this. So, Huge influence. Uh, chapter one. Zero seven fifty-two hours. Ooh. Okay, so we've got we're a real time minutes. thriller on our We're hands. in the minutes. Okay, there I'm go. there. I'm in the room. On what he had every reason to believe would be the last day of his undistinguished political career, Roger Barlow awoke in a state of sexual excitement <laughs> and with a gun to his head. <laughs> Whoa, we're off to an absolute flyer. The one fading so, as he became aware of the other. So we've start. <laughs> he starts with with an erection and a gun to his head. Is that? That's right. I'm Roger on. Barlow. I, I want to turn the page before I've even finished it. And. Sp- <laughs> Spoiler alert, Roger Barlow is basically is Boris Johnson. Isn't it it yeah. is Boris Johnson, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you'll come to realise that. It's the only character who's given any sort of any depth at all. Yeah. And that's because it it's him. Yeah. <laughs> the gun the gun was equipped with an orange whale harpoon. Strange. And would have been lethal had it been more than six inches long and made of something other than plastic. What is going on here? Say your prayers, buddy. Said the four-year-old. Oh, he's in, in bed with a four-year-old <laughs> with, a four-year-old. with an erection. <laughs> Fantastic. Roger's eyelid quivered. If Sigmund Freud... I mean, I think Sigmund yeah. Freud would have a lot to say about Sigmund this book Freud in general. Sigmund would have written a book already on the first paragraph, so... If he'd been able to catch this kid's conversation, he would have been thrilled. Seldom have there been so exuberant... <laughs> he would have and, called the police. <laughs> rubbing his hands together. Yeah. Injecting some cocaine into his arm and, <laughs> and writing up something on the child, ignoring the rest of the book. Seldom had there been so exuberant and uninhibited an Oedipus complex. Sure. Th- this book is replete with complexes as well. Though, yeah, and another classical ref. He's, he's dropping them everywhere. You need to know. You, you'd, you'd almost think that this author kind of made a thing of his knowledge of classical <laughs> literature. In, anyway. in place of any other substance. Mm, yeah. <laughs> One morning they were lying, all three of them in bed. We don't know who that is. <laughs> and Roger was trying to persuade the kid to go and watch it's Scooby-Doo. It's Freud. <laughs> I mean, who else are we supposed to think it is? <laughs> the only three people that have yeah. been referenced. Yeah. Um, the child turned to his mother. All oh, right. Okay. She, sure. she, presumably the third. Yeah. He spoke prettily in the kind of voice he might use for ordering another fish finger. 
<laughs> for anyone who's ever been chatted up Hello, by Boris Johnson. Kids. <laughs> I'm going to kill daddy and then I'm going to marry you. Typical four-year-old speak. And I, and I think that the reason that um, Johnson says it's such a superficial and easy to access um, review of the Oedipus complex is mm. that he can't be bothered to do anything more complicated. <laughs> so he's just written the... That's, yeah. that's the abstract line one. Yeah. Today, Roger didn't want to be rude to the four-year-old, and he didn't want to exacerbate his complex, but he was sure. damned if he so was going to be treated as The father way. has acknowledged that there's an Oedipus complex going on here, and yeah. But, but he doesn't want to make it worse. Yeah. It's the kind of thing you don't antagonise in your own child. <laughs> he grunted and rolled away, gripping his slumbering wife with both arms, which to review his previous intention of not exacerbating the complex, yeah. to roll over and grab the child's mother in front of him. I've kind of like, I've, I've read that sentence obviously a few times, and, and I still don't really know like what he projects mentally when he when he grips his wife with both with arms. Both like, is that a tender embrace? Is that just kind of... To me, that's a man hanging onto a ledge outside a burning <laughs> building. That's not, that's not love. No. There's, there's no love lost between Roger and his wife. And you're the, you're the woman I want to grip with both hands. Yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, his, uh, his ploy was fruitless. The mm. four-year-old fired the plastic dart carefully into Son the back of, of Roger's bitch. neck. Barlow's blow went wide, which will come back momentarily. Ceding his place to his rival, he rose. He tended to wear T-shirts in bed, and this one was a relic of a brief but illustrious former Tory leadership under which he'd been proud to serve. It's time for Haig, proclaimed the T-shirt, while the back announced the common sense revolution. I, don't, I mean, is it fair to describe William Haig's leadership of the Tory party as illustrious? I mean, he certainly didn't win any elections, which is kind of what he was there to do. But which I, which I think brings us to an interesting point about the book in general. Mm. And I think one that becomes more apparent as you read it. But it's kind of set somewhere between the real life timeline mm. of events post-2000 mm. and, and this kind of alternative one. Yeah. Uh, in that there are bits sort of cherry-picked that, that will be exactly the same. Yeah. Other bits, such as the... Uh, the the president who the mm. uh, prime minister is yeah. which parties in power yeah. uh, just remain pretty much unconfirmed throughout also clever bit of shade being thrown by Johnson here by kind of saying the previous leadership was illustrious and he was proud to serve under it not so much under the current one which you know in 2004 would have been Michael Howard who fired him quite shortly <laughs> in November of the year that this book was published so <laughs> He'll have his revenge. Yeah, he will. He will. Mmm, said his wife. Mmm, said Roger, back in a mo. As he went into the bathroom, he heard a flap of the letterbox. Christ, he thought. The papers. Uh-oh. He scooted Not downstairs and scooped them up off the mat. Quickly, he went through the brutal tabloid that was most likely to have done him in. And then the other ones that pretended to be more responsible. I like how he says done him in when, as you go through the book, you realise just reported stuff that he'd actually done. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> but he, he spends a lot of the book trying to quash. Yeah. At, at the expense of national security. Yeah, yes. Nope, nothing, nope, nothing, few. It's kind of, we're there in yeah. the room. That's yeah. what, you know, it's emotion as, yeah, as it's expressed in that. words. Just the usual flammed up load of old cobblers masquerading as news. There was allegedly a dirty bomb threat to London, or so said sources in the Home Office. <laughs> He doesn't care. <laughs> His government care. are the unnamed source yeah. capital of the press as a PR mouthpiece of the world. The city where his wife and child live. Dirty bomb threat. God, absolute nonsense. Waffle, masquerading as news. Yeah. Get to the bit about whatever he's done. Yeah. <laughs> With an eye, no doubt, to stirring up public alarm and then introducing some fresh repression of liberty. Which mm-hmm. I hear he's laying out his own kind of manifesto there, mm-hmm. but in a way that he, he'll do nothing to undo as he subsequently gains more power in his actual yeah. political career. There were acres of predictable drivel about the security arrangements for the celebrations today. 
The police had launched some Al-Qaeda raid in Wolverhampton and Finsbury, but then there was one of those every month. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be fair, Finsbury it takes an absolute shellacking from John Stevens' book. <laughs> <laughs> it really does, yeah. yeah. It's, the, it's the epicentre for uh, the terrorist world. It's, it it's is, Finsbury. yeah. One can only assume that he got a flat tyre there once. Or, yeah. But, but yeah, it, he really takes it out of it. In other words, there was nothing important, a th- threat to the free world. <laughs> and certainly nothing to feed his ludicrous paranoia. But some guilty instinct told him to purge the house of these bullying choirs of paper. So he stretched down the common sense revolution. The t-shirt, to yep, be fair. The t-shirt. To make it a kind of ninth shirt, brackets, common sense, in it, and zipped outside into the summer what? morning. So he's stri- he's pulling his t-shirt down over his... Over, over his cock and balls. <laughs> so, That's my reading of it. So Roger Barlow sleeps in a t-shirt... And nothing else. Which I can I can just imagine a very distorted William Hague's face coming oh. down his chin <laughs> sagging over his drooping genitalia as he as he zips out but, into the street. But who sleeps? No one sleeps with just the t- Roger Barlow. Is a Ours is not to uh, question the, the mind of Roger yeah. Barlow. He stuffed them into the fox ravaged bin and mm-hmm. checked that no one had seen him. Drat! Someone had indeed seen him. And there's, there's always that throughout the book, there's that kind of interplay of, I hope this doesn't happen. Yeah. And then immediately, and then it, happens. immediately it happens. Yeah. It was that funny woman who was always muttering under her breath and who had once seen him administering physical chastisement. In fact, it was on the only occasion he'd ever done so Tried to again. one of his yeah, other yeah, children. Yeah. One of his other children. A throwaway remark to Johnson's yeah. own sexual So he, he admitted to trying to strike his own child this morning and then, oh, got caught by the neighbour, who rightly should be keeping tabs on this man for strolling around his house with a massive hard-on. <laughs> his child uh, is just... Well, yeah. oh, God. Distorting William Hague's face over yeah. the <laughs> Reproductive organs as he, as he beams at her in the street, tugging the t-shirt over his hips, which, which one assumes means it was they had risen back up above the hips. Yeah, yeah. With a shudder, rightly, his neighbour hurried about her business, and Roger darted back up the steps to see the door shutting in his face. Oi, you, no, he said. He bent down to look through the flap. Please, he said. The child's sweet face came closer. He was now dressed Bloody in a child. red crusader's tabard and brandished <laughs> a plastic gladius or stabbing. Like sword. every good English child. First thing he does in the morning, he puts on his Crusaders outfit. <laughs> you are not necessary, he said to Roger through the letterbox. Mummy, he called, looking back over his shoulder. Do we know this man? Five minutes later, and with the help of his wife, Roger Barlow had regained access to the house, dressed, I washed, think she was and was very thrashing around the kitchen. Back in, to be fair. <laughs> this was her moment to escape. Yeah. yeah. And this is another, this is the temporal quality of this uh, novel, is such that we've, we've committed four or five pages to mm. him getting out of bed and going downstairs. But then we've just skipped five minutes later and he, he's washed and he's ready to go about his business. Yeah. He's now looking around the kitchen for that, that thing. Yeah. You know, he said to his wife, the thing with the thing in it. His wife had been around long enough to know what to do in these circumstances. Okay. She got on with drinking her coffee. Yeah. Women, eh? Typical. Typical Barlow. Oh, yes, yeah, she said. That thing. Barlow cast a worried glance at his wash. It was that green folder thing. The one all about poor Mrs. Betts. They were threatening to close the respite centre she needed for her son, who had such severe learning difficulties that he had no realistic hope of education. <laughs> not realistically. And not, last uh, night... not under this bloody government, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's a crusader. He's a crusader like his son. And last night, in a fit of alcohol-induced elation, he had been staring at the autistic Betts kids' drawings, which were pretty good. I thought he had seen the answer. <laughs> it's so unclear as to what that would be. And then... But he had, 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 had to have the file. That's in the text, isn't that, it? That's, that's not that's just verbatim, yeah, that's, yeah. No, that's reading out, that's on my own stammer. He's, uh, he, he's really insistent he needs to have it. He was going to ring Mrs. Betts that afternoon, and it was no use if he 
Maybe Cameron still had it. Ooh, who's Cameron? He looked again at his watch and wondered whether to dial his beautiful, omnicompetent American researcher. Mama. It was too early. Ah, oh, Cameron. God I like knows that. what Cameron's still I like to. I like the sound of Cameron. And also, so childish for him to call the beautiful woman Cameron that he clearly wants to bed. Um, childish, or I read one review of this, which is that he, he's done it unwittingly, and it's, it's so obvious oh, his yeah. own desires to uh, sure, bed yeah, big yeah. Dave. You know what annoys me, or, or kind of upsets me most about this book, is it's kind of knowing that every capital letter in it was typed with him pressing the caps lock button rather than, <laughs> <laughs> rather than the shift. And it really, really bugs me. Yeah, anyway. I think that's true because there's actually almost no other punctuation than caps locked. He, mm. he often will skip a question mark. Yeah. He'll, he'll just do full stops rather than... It was definitely a rush job. For sure, yeah. It, it smacked of a book that he wrote the last word on the last page and closed it and posted it. <laughs> it's, it's not, it has not been reread. He searched again in his office, under the bed, under the sofa, under the doormat, as if that's a possible place mm. he would have he would have left this folder. Well, he was pissed, so he might have put it anywhere. Yeah, well, this is true. And the stuff being put out for recycling. He had a sudden horror that he'd accidentally thrown the folder away with the papers and went back to the bins. And then he saw something under his son's chair while the child was eating his second breakfast. He he's fucking quick, this child, isn't he? He's, he's got a lot he's done. He's gone from bed to second breakfast in, in approximately five minutes. <laughs> he had no time to ask how it had got there. He had no time to speculate on the industrial strength adhesive with which it was now covered, and which is created by mixing Weetabix with milk. This is the this first is, of many mentions. This is an obsession of, of Johnson's, isn't it? Throughout Weetabix. the book. Breakfast in general. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's but, true. Yeah. But Weetabix yeah. in particular. He had no time because he had a speech to prepare, a respite centre to save, and he had to get to the Commons before the whole of Westminster was blockaded by the Americans. Oh, Yankees are in town. And What's he, going on? Yeah, he had a nice lie-in. Yeah. This, this <laughs> yeah. packed agenda. Yeah. He got up at 10 to 8. And got presumably, no, what, no warning of this state visit <laughs> of the Americans? <laughs> the president was due to start speaking at 10am, and Roger had to be in his seat in less than an hour, so creating urgency here. Yeah. He pointed the bike south and started to churn his legs. We can only assume he's gone outside and got on his bike. Yeah. Again. We all know an MP likes to cycle, don't we? A, a disorganised... Ruffle-haired... Yeah, ruffle-haired who MP. Be? Who wants to beat and God knows what else to his own child. With zero respect for his uh, his marital partner. Mm-hmm. As for the President's breakfast, we're straight into the action here. Here we go. It oh, did, the Prez! How did it differ from Roger's? In almost every respect. It was a leisured and ruminative repast taken at a round table, you can assume Rogers was square, (laughs) in a vast bay window in the same vaulted apartments that had been given to every visiting head of state for the last 50 years. Olaf of Norway had slept there. Obscure. It's an obscure one to go straight to. It is, yeah. So had King Badawin of Belgium. So had the Pope. (laughs) And come to that, whilst we're on the boat, President Marcos of the Philippines and sundry other thugs the foreign office had once thought fit to foist on Her Majesty. Notably, President Ceausescu of Romania in 1978 and President Mugabe of Zimbabwe in 1994. I think it should be clear that uh, Johnson's criticism of the Ceausescu and Mugabe regimes uh, starts and ends with the word thugs. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's no other... Yeah. It's not exploited any further, is it? No. They're thugs to him. They're thugs. And and like so many things in this book, actually, um, he'll have a problem. He'll air it once, yeah, and then it will go away. <laughs> yeah. And it's inconsequential to the plot, and yeah. he won't delve any further into it. On the bedside table was a guide to the British Museum, a volume of Tennyson, and a Dick Francis hardback that might have been new in 1973, when the room was used by President Mobutu Sese Seko of Zaire. I think this, this gets to the heart of like 
what I find so irritating about the man, um, both Barlow and and John, like he he sort of has this veneer of intelligence that it is he kind of creates by just dropping all these obscure, mm. either classical or kind of contemporary references that no one can really be bothered to check. And it just it, 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 he sounds intelligent because he's he's posh and he says President Mumbutu Sissoko of Zaire, and it's like well. But, 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 I've there's there's nothing below that. that. It's completely surface level. Is it's, it's a fact. Nothing? Yeah, it's a, it's a single fact. He, he he obscures a complete lack of insight yeah. by throwing around a few facts. He, he he is he is Boris Johnson. Yes. in presenting this book. <clears throat> yeah, and and it becomes grating. It's amazing. It, it's amazing how much of the psyche actually comes through. Anyway, the pres. Now the president looked out over Windsor Great Park. And prepare yourself, Johnny, for a for an English vista. The ancient oaks, <laughs> trussed and propped with iron, and the deer. And oh, in the distance, can almost hear Jerusalem playing. The looming turrets of Legoland. Yeah, you can imagine imagining how this would play out in the movie version of this book, which <laughs> never got made. Obviously, there's a lot of scenes where it's, it's basically he's pre-written the screenplay. Yeah, so he yeah, doesn't want to have to yeah. do it twice. <laughs> but what fascinated him most was the yellow packet of breakfast cereal. Now, guess what breakfast cereal you think this is going to be? Reposing in a specially constructed silver crutch. Say, honey, look at this, he said to the First Lady, and read out the awesome royal warrants. By appointment to Her Majesty the Queen, Weetabix and Co., purveyors of breakfast cereals, and Prince Charles, and the Queen Mum. I thought she passed away. <laughs> Not a question, a statement. Gee, said the First Lady, who'd also been trying to eat the Weetabix. At, at this point, it's unclear if this is sponsored <laughs> content by Weetabix, because it's, it's the only, aside from Scooby-Doo, it's the only crowbar <laughs> portion of reality <laughs> into this. I love that the First Lady's trying to eat the Weetabix. But it, just like, doesn't not, know how. It's just not successful. What is this slot? It's just it's like pouring it down itself. And But but also, as, he goes back to the previous page. As for the President's breakfast, it differed from Roger's in almost every respect. Hmm. Apart from, what they were eating was exactly the same yeah. at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's an almost identical <laughs> breakfast. If you, how, how does a breakfast differ from another? Yeah. Surely what's consumed is at least part of that. Mm. G said the first lady, who'd also been trying to eat the Weetabix. Does that mean they make this stuff specially for the queen? There's no way that she, there's no way she doesn't know how much. As, as, as with most of the female characters uh, in this novel, they, they speak as if they've been brain damaged quite badly. It's, and it's the second level taxonomy for him. It, yeah. An American is obviously much much dimmer to the uh, narrator than, mm -hmm. than a Brit, yeah. but then an American male would still rank higher than a British yeah, female. The, this, yeah, in the, in the Boris weird, verse. Yeah, trickle down yeah, economy yeah. of intelligence. The president rejoins, I guess she sort of has to approve it. How much does she have to eat? Asked the first lady. Oh, they both stared at their bowls. I don't know, said the president. <laughs> Kind of soaks up the milk, doesn't it? These people shouldn't be in a position of power or influence. <laughs> it's not clear why they're being attacked for this, but yeah. he, he has a very dim view. Like Barlow, the president considered the amazing physical properties of a Weetabix milk solution. To me, this is now an identical breakfast. <laughs> it couldn't be more similar. It, it, there's nothing that's happened that was different. Yeah. And it's possible application in the construction industry. Oh, it's inconceivable a president would ever think that. This is just banal observations. It's it's, point, it's padding. It's, it's padding before yeah. he realised he, he, he's an arch padder. <laughs> so he, he actually has to tear it out. And then the last uh, two acts are 10 pages each. The first lady fleetingly wondered what it would be like to have the presidential seal on the back of a packet of fruit leaves. Absurd. Oh, there was a knock on the door. Thank Christ. Sir, said a US Secret Service man in a blue blazer. Colonel Blewett just called. Oh, Blewett. Love Blewett. him. The man, the man from nowhere, with no past and no future. He's he's literally an absolute void of a character. He he he's probably one of the you 
the central characters. Like he appears arguably more than certainly more than Barlow's wife or family. But like or anyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's like a core like anchor point of the narrative throughout the whole thing. And you will never know more about him than you do right now. Having <laughs> first met him, like no, nothing about him is ever described. He's he's a total void, and and he only really interacts with another character. Who his kind of British counterpart, who you'll meet in a second, I think, who is exactly the same. He's never given any. They're they're, they're both yeah. kind of. They could just be two, two heads in the same suit. It's it's almost a a coin toss here for which which characters get a backstory. Yeah, and the ones that do, it, 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 there's no reason why they would and another wouldn't. Mm. But it's excruciating. Yeah, it, it's the level of detail. You, you know, you, you might find out what they got in their exams. Yeah, which, which are completely inconsequential. To yeah. the <laughs> and then there are other principal characters that actually drive the narrative, and you, you just don't know anything about them. Yeah, Blewett is one of those characters. He wanted to be sure you're aware of the security implications of the arrest last night. The president Ooh. grimaced. He had naturally read the papers, but he'd been hoping not to bring up the subject in front of his wife. <laughs> just remember that. You bet, he said. Good job by the Brits. We should go now, sir, if you're ready, ma'am. Too bad they didn't catch the main guy, said the first lady, <laughs> who had also read the papers. I take you back three sentences. He'd naturally read the papers, but had been hoping not to bring up the subject in front of his wife, presumably because she was too busy reading the papers. <laughs> and, and the only one of them to have, as you said, yeah. any insight into it at all. Yeah. Too bad they didn't She's catch the main guy. She's got more information than the president does, yeah. And she got it from the papers. Which, which might be a swipe. You would think maybe for a less lazy writer, that would be a swipe at the US intelligence services. But yeah. he's just forgotten by the end of the paragraph what he said at the start. He's of got it. a ve- like he has a very confused relationship with the United States throughout this whole thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he does. It's it's yeah, and, and he'll convey it through different characters yeah. in a way that's highly inconsistent, but loops back to the same thing. Yeah, that wasn't the only detail troubling Deputy Assistant Commissioner Stephen Purnell. The detail, as expressed in that other scene with different mm. characters, wasn't the only one <laughs> troubling a completely different character in a different scene. This is Purnell, who, as you say, is also yeah. a void of a character, yeah. who had been sitting at his desk since 6am in the New Scotland Yard ops room. News had come in of vehicle theft in Wolverhampton, a crime that appeared to have taken place shortly before the not-quite-successful synchronised raids. It might mean something. <laughs> not-quite-successful. It might mean nothing. And that, that's the book, in a sentence. Yeah. It might mean something. It might <laughs> yeah. mean nothing. But it was a very odd thing to steal, and his dilemma now was whether or not to share the information with the Americans. Does every vehicle theft get reported to the, to the, to the ops room? Pennell's got a, a live feed of every vehicle. <laughs> odder, the odder the better. Yeah. To ten days working on the visit with Colonel Blewett of the, which is not an exhaustive amount of time to, to no, secure to the, the leader of the free visit, world. Yeah, yeah. Um, he spent ten days working on the visit with Colonel Blewett of the U.S. Secret Service, who we've just met. We know who he is. He somehow couldn't face the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, a, a oh, pond of information has come up that he thinks is critical to yeah. this operation, but can't be bothered. Another, another uh, conversation. It's just those one of those tasks at work where you just like you just heart set. You just put it at the bottom of your drawer. The safety of the president is a threat on his life. If you get round to it, maybe. If you get round but to if you it, don't, but there nah, it's the kind of conversation you yeah. avoid. Don't worry, sir," said his assistant, who was called Grover. Grover end, <laughs> yeah, enter Grover yeah. end Grover. There's no, there is no more Grover beyond this moment. Don't get used to Grover. He'll just become another assistant. There are in fact other assistants further throughout the book. Yeah, could right, easily have been yeah. Grover, but weren't. Goodbye, Grover. Even if it was our friends who took it, where the hell are they going to park it? I bet someone will find it within an hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in in the, in the city of London, where on earth are they going to park a vehicle? But is that is that an attack at that? Is that what that is? There's I'm never there's ne- never any parking in London. I don't, he just wanted something to say. Where where the hell are they going to park it? Like 
no. you'll never get away with this. It's it's, it's more probably where are they going to drive it to and who they're going to attack. That that should be the yeah. <laughs> that should be Purnell's focus. It's I been stolen like in it. Wolverhampton. Yeah, there's a there's a big stretch of country to traverse yeah. first. But oh, it's all right. It's an ambulance. Never part that. And that's well, we only we only assume it's an ambulance because uh, <gasps> he's told us at the start alert. of the chapter. Yeah. Spoiler alert. And uh, and th- and that's how he ends it. So it, it. I'm not saying it's, it's a cliffhanger. It's it's grabbing me. Do I want to read on? That's a I mean, I think it's. I think we, we owe it to the listeners to, to dive on further. But I think first we should um, we should take in a little quote from the back. Uh, oh, sorry, from one of the reviews uh, in the first page. I think I like this spectator one, which we, yeah. we've had. We've had what? We've had eight pages now. Yeah. Um, we've compared <laughs> breakfast cereals twice. Yeah. We've, we've learned of his son, who reader will will not come up again yeah. until right at the end. He's the, the Oedipus thing is completely inconsequential, uh, yeah. as most of it is. Uh, the Spectator, who I feel had a vested interest. I think I might, <laughs> might know who, who wrote this. The rollicking pace and continuous outpouring of comic invention make the book... The yeah, ellipsis. <laughs> and, and, and that's it. The guardians of our author's future need not worry. It, I mean, but they make the book what? Yeah. They make the book? They make the book. We've had eight pages on Weetabix. Yeah. The rollicking pace <laughs> and a continuous outpouring of comic invention. A child with an Oedipus complex. Yeah. Majestic. Right, well, um, join us after this break uh, for chapter two. And a uh, bit of a trigger warning, this is where it gets really racist. So <laughs> <laughs> just uh, if that offends you, then yeah, maybe this maybe this isn't the novel for you. But And, uh, and it should offend you. And it should. Because, and it is offensive. Because it's, it is very offensive. <laughs> but yeah, join us after the break for chapter two. 72 Virgins, chapter two. It was going to be a beautiful day, thought William. Eric Kinlock on Yama as he walked across Lambeth Bridge. We've got a new character. His name's his name's William. I'm on board. He stopped and his delighted eye scanned the landscape, dapply and wavy and branchy. <laughs> why, do you, why, why do you think he's using such childlike? He could uh, do he could do better than that. He searched for his new favourite word. It was on the tip of his tongue. He had just confirmed its rough area of meaning with his teachers at the Euro Language School in Peckham Rye. <laughs> <laughs> He's building a very quick picture for me here. Yeah. He looked at the happy brown river, winking beneath the bitumous scum. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds lovely, Eric. He looked at the gilt flashing and steeples on the Houses of Parliament, which inspired him in a deep and unfashionable reverence. That building was, in his view, heart stoppingly lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> a bit of foreshadowing there. But too spiky, surely, to qualify for the adjective he was now struggling to recall. He took in the roses in Victoria Tower Gardens and the red, white and blue flags that flew over the heart of Westminster. On this day of glorious commemoration, the white ellipse of the London eye, the leaves on the plain trees, turning up their light undersides in the breeze. I mean, it's, it's pure poetry, this prose. It's London on a summer day. I'm there. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm Walking across side. Lambeth Bridge. They were all beautiful. Beautiful. But they were not exactly... Bah. What was it again? What is it? Come on, Eric. He looked down at his shoes, which he had polished the night before. They were fat Doc Martins, burnished and blushing, like bumps or buns. They were bu- Ugh, What was it? They were like the black rumps of the taxis, the bashful bums that beetled before him over the bridge. They were but. They were but. They, bu- they were busty. No, they were buck. They were bucks. This for me is that someone said to him, a clever way of writing, Johnson, yeah. is, to, uh, is to get an alliteration. Yeah, and he and he's read through his notes. I, uh, the entire experience for me is as if he'll write an enormous segment, get through his notes, and go, "Oh God, I need to include that." 
And so he'll just get it all out in one go. I don't think he wrote notes. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's a, not not on the not on the narrative, but on a, things to include, references right. to include, things to. And this one he's gone alliteration, so he's just dumped it all in these kind of two paragraphs, and then forever forgotten. You've got to remember at the time he was a shadow minister, he was an MP, he was editor of the Spectator, and mm. he was having a, a four year long affair, and he had like a wife and kids, like. He gave the minimal amount of time to this. There are some points where you can almost see where he sat down to start writing and got up <laughs> moments later, having comp- like yeah. shot off a paragraph. So no, they were buck. They were bucks. That was it. It was going to be a buxom day. Whoa! Not one sure for the using it right, but... one for the dads there. One for the dads. He grinned and thought of all the things that might be classified as buxom. This guy is obviously a bit of a lunatic. Obviously, there was Mrs. Nelly Naatwa Onyama. She was as buxom as all get out. Is that a phrase? I've, I've never heard it. I've never, I've never heard as buxom. This as is anything perhaps else. maybe, maybe this is the, the kind of old boy lexicon. Mm. As buxom as all as as all get out. This he had amply confirmed a little while ago, just before he rose from her bed. Uh oh, uh oh, yeah. Not the only one with an erection this morning. <laughs> so far, about fifty percent. Yeah, fifty percent of the characters have started with a uh, full-on boner in this book. And the clouds above him were as, were high and fleecy. How foolish they were to talk of rain, thought Eric, and how typically gloomy of the Apcoa people to make them take their Pacamax. I don't understand. <laughs> if you added it all together, thought Eric, if you looked at all the glitter and luster and promise of the new summer's day, then you could argue, and he stood to be corrected, that this July morning stood fully in the semantic field of his new best word. I mean, could you, has anyone ever described a morning as buxom. I think and only, only a man a with a physicality. Obs- yeah, only a man with an absolute obsession. <laughs> but also, has anyone ever pontificated this widely on a single word? Mm. Not, not, not the morning. You might walk mm. through the morning thinking how beautiful this is, but just the word buxom, mm. as, as if as if there's a single-minded. A lot of the book, you think, is there a bet to get this in? Yeah, and and he's just he's laboured it so much. It's it's absurd. It's not the last time, incidentally, that. Um, There'll be an inexplicable appearance of breasts. In no, this. <laughs> peppered throughout the book. Yeah. <laughs> so he went on down Horse Ferry Road, past the obelisks with their odd pineapple finials, past the bearded stone Victorians who had conquered the continent from which he came. Okay. okay. <laughs> and he, the colonial, began to hunt in the former imperial metropolis. I mean, Eric, he's got quite a cheery um, attitude towards... <laughs> the, the, the conquest of his homeland he checked the rest box he checked the tax if someone had stuck a ticket in the window he noted the time of expiry and plotted his return uh oh I think we know what Eric I does I think we know what Eric does the scourge of, uh, of Boris's London well yeah all the while he was savouring this language which ruled the world and over which he was acquiring mastery and there in Mounsel Street was his first prey of the morning Buxom in the curvature of its four quarters, a gleaming black four by four which had flouted the rest park and was therefore in defiance of Code Four and a thoroughly ticketable vehicle. Sounding like a bit of Jobsworth, Eric. I think. I think. So. Well, I mean, he he is just doing his job here. Yeah. I think. Uh, I think it's unfair to. He he needs to drive revenue for the city. And, yeah. <laughs> and this is the vehicle through which he's, he's able to do so. I think again, though, it's another one where, in the absence of proper writing, detail. Johnson will suffice, which is yeah. one of the things he obsesses <laughs> over is the geography of London and the, oh, yeah. the streets, but also rules, codes, and things like that. That will yeah. be the correct code. He's an absolute spanner when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah, 
and and engines and computers as uh, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Any, anything broken down to technicality rather than actually right. Yeah. He reached down for his Sanderson Husky computer. Another yeah. exact, exact <laughs> example there. So irrelevant. Never, yeah. It doesn't need to come up. Computer would have sufficed, but Sanderson Husky. The wizard device that has given the parky the whip hand over the motorist. As, as if people were just like driving away from parking tickets because people were what? There was no way of tracking it. Yeah. Pen and paper did not suffice. But yeah. the inventors of the husky yeah. are to motorists what NASA is to space exploration. Yeah. Eric, <laughs> Eric started to record the time, place, and exact dereliction of a Pajero station wagon. License plate L8AG41N. Now, if you see that written down, readers... It's just... This really irks me, because this is... <laughs> you, you, either, you either go detail for the sake of detail, and you, you write as if you're an engineer, or you go whimsical fantasy. And, yeah. Uh, and, and, and later game, the, the yeah. L8AG4IN, great, very clever, very clever, in a whimsical novel. Yeah. Everything else is spot-on direct fact. Yeah. But I mean, this this gets to the heart of of kind of uh, again another one of the mad quotes that, uh, from one of the reviews of this book, the, the GQ quote that says invents a genre all of his own, a post nine eleven farce. I mean, it, as I've said to you before, it, it's more carry on nine eleven than it is yeah. kind of like it, it, it's this weird kind of mishmash of of looming terrorist threat and then knock about bawdy English boobs and kind of. Puns, comedies. Almost alternately between chapters. Yeah, yeah. But now a woman was running back down the pavement towards him. She had a kid in tow with a satchel and a blazer, and she wore an expression of tragic supplication. Oh, please, she wailed. She was dressed with terrific chic. She had long blonde hair, dark eyebrows, a tight black T-shirt over a willowy figure. (laughs) (laughs) Now we can assume that we're back to viewing her through Johnson's eyes rather than... Eric's. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. And a belt made out of copper plates. It was hard to believe she could be the mother of a ten-year-old. Just what what and why? Yeah. Uh, As if you're reading this thinking, no, there's still something missing from that description. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, okay. Defying nature. Yeah. Yeah. And and also, yeah. I'm very sorry, he said, and continued to tap. I'll be literally three minutes. It's not for me to say. It's their rule. And that is... So th- this is where we slip into the <laughs> yeah it's, into it's this, getting there isn't it into Eric's um, accent which which Boris faithfully writes so that yeah he he writes D E rule it is D rule Eric had caught a glimpse of himself in the smoke Pajero pane and he knew what she was looking at six foot two of anthracite handsomeness and power as richly accoutred with high technology as an American infantryman I mean not quite <laughs> he had a smart peaked cap with the cap badge of the council. He had a metallic silver num- numbers on his epaulets. He carried a TDS Husky mini-computer. We've already covered that. There's, there's, there's oh, right, okay. So it was a Sanderson Husky previously. Now it's a TDS, now it's a TDS yeah. Husky. Detail for the sake of detail. Yeah, he had a, he had a two-way T8288 Motorola radio. He had a Radix FP40 printer ready to discharge his literary efforts. And he was about to print the ticket now. This, this I think, is the most partridge. Of, it, a, a lot of it very is very partridge. <laughs> a lot of it, particularly in the details. But that, that is a man describing in detail yeah. his train set that he's built at home. And yeah. nobody, not, <laughs> not understanding why nobody cares. Yeah. But, but then going more, well, maybe it's not enough detail. Maybe yeah. just going on and on and droning on and on and on. 
And is it, I mean, I don't understand sex. what, because obviously it isn't funny and it doesn't seem like it's meant to be funny either, but I don't really understand what the point of the detail is uh, unless it's just literally getting words on the page. But I think that's it. I think there's a, yeah. there's a degree of kind of obsession in him. Yeah. He, he must get the detail out and it must be correct. It's, all, it's almost obsessive compulsive writing. Yeah. That it all has to be out. And mm. then, it, but, but without ever thinking why he's writing this, yeah. i.e. that someone will read it. Yeah. Oh, please, she said. I've got to drop him off at school and he's got an exam. Eric smiled. What kind of exam? It's a maths exam, isn't it, darling? Oh, please, he's going to be late. I don't care, said the child. I mean, children in this book get a bad rap, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they're awful. Oh, darling. Eric approved of maths exams. A cadet branch of Eric's family had made a great deal of money by scamming out of the untalented Europeans. I I mean, it's... uh, It's it's extraordinary. Jesus Christ. And he was generally in favour of encouraging our children to better themselves. What? And he was generally in favour of encouraging our children to better themselves. But who's? The kind of, yeah, weird mix. of I think that's just grammatically wrong. Um, just one minute, wheedled the woman. The parkie considered many traffic wardens are traumatised by the verbals. And now, mm, yeah, okay, here, so we get a, quite a lot of racial slurs. Yeah. I, this, I would say, this is where, at page 11, mm. when I realised that we'd committed to reviewing <laughs> this book first, and there were 320-ish pages to go, this is this is when it became really uncomfortable because it's not what you're about to read or maybe not read mm. is 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 not even in context. It's no. a memory for as far as I can tell the service of just writing these words in a book. Yeah, you can imagine him tittering as he did so, thinking he's getting away with it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite horrible. So yeah, so basically there's there's a list of racial slurs including the N word uh, and monkey and ape. And these are some of the names Eric had been called, shorn of their participle expletives. So he's kept in, <laughs> he's kept in the, the racial epithets, but got rid of the, of the F words and things, which is very kind of him. Uh, is this your idea? Of, so we're kind of, I think we're now in the voice of someone who's complaining it's to It's A&L, the third party, yeah. attacking Eric, yeah. Is this your idea of power? Why don't you get a better job? These were some of the questions he was asked. Faced with such disgusting behaviour, some traffic wardens respond with a merciless taciturnity. The louder the rant of the traffic offenders, the more acute are the wardens' feelings of pleasure that they, the stakeless, the outcasts, the N-words, are a valued part of the empire of law and in a position to chastise the arrogance and selfishness of the indigenous people. So that that usage is the one that troubles me the most. That's his usage. That's that's him just using it as the the narrator. And it's it's not a smart callback. No. It's just the word. Yeah. And this was one of the things I had throughout reading this, which was, it's almost like when you go and visit an elderly relative and it's a boring afternoon, they've gone to sleep, and you just pick up any book off the shelf yeah. and you start reading anything. My God, wasn't it different back then? How <laughs> could you get away with this by then? But then you flip and you realise this was written a few years ago yeah. by not some obscure and, and rightly ostracised by society author who you know, learned the error of their ways as times progressed, but by the current Prime Minister. Yeah. But I mean, years ago, and this isn't like obviously. There's a lot of racism in the book, and and we'll get onto more of it. But this, I think, is like it's this the sort of casual throwaway stuff that's the most troubling. Like it's just kind of like in the voice of the narrator, and and you know, to be fair, like he says, it's disgusting behaviour to speak to traffic wardens that way. But then in the next kind of yeah paragraph, refers uses that word himself, and it's just so bizarre. It's a child, isn't it? Getting yeah. away with it. That's uh, that's what it is. I think it's, so, yeah. It's, yeah. You know, the, the kid who volunteers to read it in an English class so that they can say it. 
Yeah. Or they know which word, they know which page of the junior dictionary has got the word bastard on it. Yeah. Like, that, is that, is that <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Eric was unusual in that he liked sometimes, every once in a while, to show mercy, as befitted his kingly lineage. The scars on his cheeks denoted that he was a prince of the royal blood in the Hausa tribe, and it was only the evil of primogenitor that debarred him from the substantial estates outside Lagos. Sometimes he would exercise clemency if he were offered a really rococo excuse, as a board tutor will indulge a, a crapulous undergraduate if his reason for missing a class is truly bizarre and degenerate. And that's quite insightful, I think, because that, I think, is something that has happened to Johnson a lot in his life. You, you can imagine a lot of bizarre and degenerate excuses yeah. for, for missing or attending certain things. Sometimes, as today, he could be moved by the appeal of a damn good-looking woman. <laughs> oh, Eric. His eyes are not painted on. No. But today, he had a peculiar reason of his own for not wanting to prolong the conversation. The night before, Miss Onyama had been very good to him. She had made him his favourite meal, a chicken Kiev. <laughs> <laughs> the, old, uh, the old Nigerian Russian cross yeah. coming, coming through there. With now. a kind of special West African garlic called Kulu, rather like the North, African, North American ramps. And he had slept well in it. But he knew from experience that Mrs. Onyama's chicken Kievs had an amazing effect on the digestive system. There was nothing normally detectable. But from time to time, the kraken would wake. And then... <laughs> And then a globule of air would force itself up the esophagus and press on the palate until he was obliged to let it go. Again, we're kind of at this this sort of weird lurch in tone from blasé racism to yeah carry on style. Yeah, it's the kind of physical the, the bawdy Shakespearean nurse type character who uh, yeah. who either <laughs> will let this person off a traffic offence because they're they, they don't look like they have a child, mm. uh, they've kept themselves physically well, or because of some kind of flatulence and that's yeah uh, but one reason or another yeah i think you're being very generous to compare him to shakespeare but <laughs> <laughs> it has happened to him at a wedding party recently he'd been telling a joke and he came to the punchline and everyone was crowded around him like maternity unit staff waiting for the birth of the joke i mean <laughs> that's just an awful metaphor yeah and he had suddenly felt whoop this thing come up him involuntarily like the thing in alien coming out of john hurt so I mean, this this I find really interesting because it's this mix of kind of metaphors mm. between this this fictional wedding that he's attended yeah. and, and a very real a very real film yeah. that, that's, that's long before this this book was written. Yeah, yeah. These these kind of worlds colliding. This this thing from the real and it, it, we start to sort of split the narrative. Yeah. Trends here. Say say what you like about Eric though. He's got very good taste in cinema. Well, that's that's true. That's true. Yeah. His audience had reacted in much the same way as the characters in the movie. So he beamed at her without a word. Mm-hmm, he murmured and put down the husky. Really? She couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. She gushed her thanks and was gone. And it was therefore with a faint sense of hunter-gatherer who has missed one easy kill. Again. Uh, just, it, uh, just too close, isn't yeah, it? That he turned into Tufton Street for the second time that morning. He could hardly believe his eyes. It was still there. It was the big one. El Gordo. This was the white whale. And he was Ahab. <laughs> <laughs> He's just dropping the rest. Yeah. Um, it had been there, to a certain knowledge, for half an hour, and probably far longer. The ambulance was on a single yellow. You don't think that could be the same? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, we, it could be the very same. The very same Trojan ambulance that kicked off this whole uh, shebang. That was a Code 1 offence, and it was on the footway. That was a Code 62. But what made it a legitimate target, in Eric's view, was that it was blocking the thoroughfare in the sense that two cars could certainly not pass abreast. <laughs> <laughs> for, a, for a further write-down of the exact law, yeah. 
It was not true, as the tabloids hinted, that he received a bounty for every car he successfully caused to Johnson be plucked was from again the street. Attacking the press here. This yeah. is the, this, the scourge of the tabloid press. Yeah. Giving traffic wardens a bad name, which he himself has done, yeah. but also not done. <laughs> yeah. But it certainly was true that he received bonuses for productivity, and productivity was measured well. How else could it be measured? So he slanders the press and then basically agrees with them. <laughs> it's, yeah. For, for what they've criticised is yeah. tautologically yeah. It, correct. It's, it's right. Eric and the Atwa and Yama were ambitious for their children, and on the televised urgings of Carol Vorderman, they were currently investing in a series of expensive Kumon maths textbooks. I mean, that for me is so <laughs> left field. It's, it's from nowhere. It's, it's, you can imagine a lot of this was written on the tube, and he's just seen an advert across the carriage in Kumon maths and thought, I'll get that in. I Vorderman, bet, she'll yeah. have done something. She'll have turned him down. I but no, Boris loves a bit of Vorderman. But no, right. I think I think he should have popped a dream. That's the thing. He'll have sidled yeah. over as the, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the hand on the, the small of the back. Yeah, 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 maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. a little ITV thing going yeah. on. And <laughs> dashed away, dashed his hopes. She goes in the book. Yeah. And you, you can imagine yeah. him at the time keeping a list of who's going in the book. Definitely. Favourably or not. Yeah. Since Eric Onyama only made £340 per week, working from 8.30am to 6.30pm, this was not an opportunity he could responsibly pass up. He reached for... I mean, he's just, let, well. he's just let someone off a ticket. And now, like his motivation is money, and like. I, I but don't, if his motivation oh, but she was a hot woman, so yeah. yeah but, but then why not reference that? That's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. so inconsistently <laughs> written. He's let someone off. He needs to get someone on. But no, it's not that. It's that he doesn't earn enough. Yeah. He reached for his Motorola and summoned the clampers. Then, since there could be no question of the vehicle staying where it was, he rang the tow truck company. He he he! Chortled Derek. And I mean that. that this is, is another yeah. thing. He, the way he writes laughing is terrifying. <laughs> I, I'll never forget that. It's kind of the, you know, the the noise of a sort of rusty swing in a horror movie. Yeah. Or a, the, the, the way that Boris Johnson writes laughter will stay with me too, and probably beyond my grave. Yeah. He he he! Chortled Derek, and he laughed at the multiple pleasures of the morning. He knew all the tow truck men and Dragon Panic, the Serb. <laughs> It's so he's described, I think, as um, as uh, Tom Sharp, which I think is referencing the wilt in the fact that you know, oh, it's, what? it's kind of Johnson's humor. Is, Johnson's yeah. humor is yeah, and I think for this is this is his kind of stab at Martin Amis in this kind of mm. very literal naming uh, yeah. convention of you know the, the, the dragon panic. Yeah, but but with but with none of the intellectual capacity to to match that writing. Yeah. So hence with the uh, with the number plate which spells out yeah. exactly what it's Late meant again. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this so on the nose description of these people yeah. and what will happen to them as well, <laughs> but without any of the kind of writerly interest around it. Yeah. It's just it's so jarring. Yeah. And also they're not all called this. It's Eric and Panic. Yeah. <laughs> Unless the mysterious crew of this ambulance returned within five minutes, the vehicle was a goner. Right, so now now we've got a bit of a lurch. Um, in <laughs> in the Tivoli Cafe on the corner of Great Peter Street and Marsham Street, three men and a kid of about 19 were coming to the end of breakfast, the third breakfast of the book so far. The restaurant was non-posh. <laughs> <laughs> Immediate taxonomical severage. Yeah. Non-posh. Non-posh, to the point of affectation. All right, so they're putting uh, it on, right? Okay, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll be owned by a posh. Up the nostrils of its diners rose the tang of vinegar, mothering in its bottle, mingling with the ammoniacal vapours that hummed from the cloth that was used to wipe the formica. Sounds like your kind of classic London greasy spoon, doesn't it? Which you could have said in three or four words, not two paragraphs. Yeah. But the four dark customers had done well. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, dear. And it, Interesting, yeah. 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 
I think it's, you can see where you're going. It, yeah. it lays, the one thing you can say to him is he does lay store out immediately. Yeah, There's, he doesn't he doesn't hide his light under a bushel, does no, he? No. If, and his light, in this case, is his Islamophobia. But, um, <laughs> yeah. They had eaten a meal of Henristian proportions. Not the first uh, Henry VIII reference. No, I think, we'll it, I think you'll find it won't be the last. <laughs> There's actually a massive narrative turning point around something which is almost certainly not true about Henry VIII. <laughs> <laughs> Eggs, beans, chips, chops, schnitzels, steaks. The proprietor was amazed, especially considering it was not yet nine in the morning. I mean, he's a man who sells breakfasts in a greasy spoon in London. He shouldn't be amazed that people are having large breakfasts. Presumably as well, it's on a menu that he's serving at that time because he mm. served it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I put this list of food that people could have here and they ordered it. And I was uh, like, honestly I was absolutely flabbergasted. <laughs> Day one of the business. Never never sold a chip in my life. And now look. Day one in Tivoli's. Um, I want to go. We should maybe do a pod trip to Tivoli's. They had swallowed drafts of milkless tea turned into a kind of sugary quicksand. And then they had eaten the Danish pastry and the donuts. Ancient, thickly iced things that had been in the display so long he had feared he wouldn't have to reduce the price. <laughs> they had eaten, in fact, as, the, as if there were no tomorrow. But today, their mortal frames requ- required relief. Owing to their eccentric bivouac, they had been unable to pass water all night. Okay, that's a right. challenge. Presumably the calf has a toilet. Well, one would hope so. Otherwise, Tivoli is going to get a, a, a visit from another from kind of office. petty official <laughs> whose every piece of equipment will be <laughs> fucking <laughs> detailed. the hardware specifications. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly, said the one called Jones, coming back from the toilets, the traffic wardens will be here. There was certainly something lilting and eastern about his accent, but if you shut your eyes and ignored his brown skin, <laughs> there were tonic effects, bird-like variations in pitch that were positively Welsh. Okay. Because obviously brown people can't be Welsh. Well, so no. no, no, well, exactly. Not in yeah. Boris's world. Well, well, what, what voice would, if you can't look at him, what voice would you describe <laughs> as? Okay, now look at him. How do you describe? Not the same, obviously. <laughs> Not the same. I must go too, said one of his colleagues who had a moustache. <laughs> but that's character that's yeah. the character yeah. break them out a bit more uh, yeah. Boris moustache brilliant you've done it well hurry god help us Haroon scowled it was obviously inequitable for their leader to so privilege his own requirements but no doubt he was under pressure sir please can I go it was the kid quickly Dean said the man called Jones there was only one toilet identified by a pictogram on the door of a Regency buck and a crinolined dame to show it was for the use of both sexes and by an unspoken agreement, Dean went in first. Again, just completely pointless detail. Yeah. Full though his bladder was, after a night of appalling discomfort on a stretcher in that airless vehicle, he found he was trembling too much. What is going on? hissed the man called Jones. What are you doing in there? Haroon banged on the door. And Dean felt that any hope of micturation was gone. As one will find when uh, under stress and pressure, the, uh, the normal response would be to say that someone's pissed themselves. Yeah. But in the case of Dean, the stress and pressure... Or what prevent him from doing so? Yeah, he hasn't pissed all night. Yeah, he respected Jones, but he was seriously frightened of Haroon, who had the pale blue eyes and tiny black pupils pupils of a staring seagull. (laughs) Jones saw a traffic warden pass the window. Their researchers had already established that the wardens around here were sticklers, and he had a sense of impending disaster. So many, so many problems with this. That that, that a man. I don't think it's too too much of a spoiler to to give away that Jones is the leader of this this nascent terrorist plot plot, and that he's like his main worry is that poli- the traffic wardens, not policemen, not kind of 
I don't know. But, but that's, undercover officers. That's even been involved in the research. It's yeah. So it must be so granular in detail that it's been mm. involved in the research, and yet what wasn't involved was where they should park the ambulance. So th- yeah. they know that they shouldn't park it there. But nobody, <laughs> nobody uncovered where they should park it. There, yeah. there will presumably be car parks in London, but no one's left one up. But they have researched the traffic warden policy. Yeah. He ran out and round the corner. He stood still. He shut his eyes and clenched his fists. No, he called. Stop it, you. Already a clamp had appeared on the right-hand front wheel of the ambulance. A green clamp. Moronic. Infernal. He swore in Arabic. I can't speak Arabic, so I'm just going to read the English. Although the Arabic is written. Jackass. Son of a bitch. He, he, he. Chortled Eric Onyama. Jones ran back into the Tivoli and rounded up his men. By now, only Haroon had, made, had failed to make use of the facilities. Come, said Jones. I must just go, said Haroon, but such was the power of Jones, and so contemptuous was the expression in his eyes that Haroon followed him like a lamb, and Jones ran back into the sunlight. So Haroon hasn't pissed for... Over a day. Over a day. (laughs) At least over a day. And won't piss... Rather than going to the... I think I'm right in saying he doesn't piss for the rest of the book. Um, No, no, so there's actually quite an interesting bit later, which um, I I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but um, Haroon's need to piss does come back up later and is explored in 12 excruciating pages <laughs> yeah. of a man trying to find somewhere to piss. Right. Great. Okay, so re- this is crucial seeding of detail. Yeah, yeah, it's important yeah. to read this now because yeah. you need to remember this in, in literally 280 pages. <laughs> and now he couldn't believe it. He couldn't flipping well believe it. Surely he had been gone only seconds, and now the clamp had gone, but the ambulance was being hoisted up into a kind of hammock by a hydraulic lift, and the parky was standing there, still scribing zealously away into his husky computer. So why has the clamp been taken off? So the, so he clamped the vehicle, and then unclamped it, and is now lifting it onto... And now, and now he's putting it onto a tow truck, right. yeah. Uh, which I don't know what procedure is in the, in no. the clamping game, but oh, it, well, it sounds like that wouldn't be it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir, decided Eric, but once all four wheels are off the ground, you have lost control of the vehicle. It is now the responsibility of Westminster City Council. Jones waved the keys, but it's ours. Put it down. All the craps are on, said Eric. The craps? Yes, sir. These are the craps. The metal craps. You mean the craps? That is right, sir. They are the craps. Jones gave up. Did you say all four wheels? Yes, that is correct, sir. Now that all four wheels are off the ground, it is the law that you no longer have any control over this vehicle. This is, I assume, his kind of R2-D2 moment. This yeah. This repetitive, it's, robotic. It's, it's, I think it's this loophole in traffic law that has sparked the entirety of this novel for Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> this was a big ambulance. I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> Fully laden, it weighed not far short of three and a half tons with a 3.5-litre Rover V8 engine. I swear this is actually what's written. This is like... It's so partridge. Yeah. It's... And bulky aluminium chassis, so that it was already astonishing that the tow truck had been able to hoist it. At that moment, Jones had an inspiration. It was technically true that the wheels were off the ground, but the front pair were only a few inches up. What about now? asked Jones. He and Haroon jumped on the bonnet of the Leyland Daff vehicle. He'll take any opportunity to challenge bureaucracy. Yeah. As, as a man who is a bureaucrat. Yeah. Professional bureaucrat. Yeah. And would, would go on to lead the traffic policy of London, yeah. amongst many other parts of the Mayor of London role. He's so staunchly against any <laughs> lawmaking at all as, as to be almost a renegade. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, another, it's another massive sort of tangential distraction between his, his actual occupation and his outlook, which, yeah. which makes it very uneasy reading. And it sunk its nose until the front offside wheel brushed the ground. See, shouted Jones, now it's ours again. And that is the end of chapter two. And what an end. And what an end. Um, join us after a quick break where we will have a quick roundup and, um, yeah, look ahead to the next episode of uh, the Old Boys Book Club. Uh-huh.
Old Boys. So that's the first two chapters of Boris Johnson's 72 Virgins. What do you think? It's, I mean, so I've obviously read it. Um, and <laughs> it's just... You look like a man who's read it's, this Yeah, this, this, yeah I, I, can, I can see why people returning from the war didn't want to talk about the war. <laughs> it, I, I don't know what to make of it, because on the one hand, it's obviously... It's obviously dreadful. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a good book. It's not page turning. It's not any of the accolades that it's printed, possibly even inaccurately on on its own covers. But but at the same time, it, it is. It's interesting both as this exploration point for old boys, but mm. also it's super relevant in that it's written by the current prime minister. And yeah. if you ever if you ever want an insight into someone's brain, this is not only him writing it's his only it's his only fiction book so mm. it's, it's only it's an only view into how he sees the world mm. and how he you know perceives other people are seeing it and, and as such i think it's a terrifying tool <laughs> yeah. he's clearly it is. He, i don't want to go as far as to say he's racist but that would be it would not be an improbable reading of it to say no, that not but, at all. but to say that he, he's occupied with race. He's occupied with class. Oh, yeah. And he's occupied yeah. with sort of venerating royalty and the notion of power and all, all of these things that he uh, he is obsessed about mm. are the kind of things that I would... If I was the HR uh, manager for the Houses of Parliament, I, uh, a test <laughs> I would do would be, if you're going to be the Prime Minister, are you obsessed with power? Yeah. Do you venerate these old institutions? Do you have a problem with race? Do you not understand <laughs> class? Yeah. And, and are you kind of a sort of arch antagonist towards bureaucracy because yeah. he, he, he seems to hold and he, he mentions this later in the in the novel as well which is not giving anything away because there's nothing to give away <laughs> but he's he's kind of super against most of the tenets of society that you would need to be a good prime minister to govern yeah. wisely and responsibly and it's just it's it's on the one hand it's hilarious and you can yeah. you can read it and go oh my god ha 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 how funny or tee hee hee as he would write yeah. but it's, it's it's also it's also scary that you know he is the prime minister so i don't really mm. i don't want to, I, I i actually don't know what to make of it i spent a few days reflecting on it and i, I think it's it's hilarious but scary yeah it, yeah definitely yeah it's it so much worse second time around as well <laughs> yeah so much worse you because you know what's happening you know yeah. that it's nothing you know yeah. it's driving towards nothing yeah yeah and, yeah and then it's so it's so just pointless in all of it and mm. but i think it's a good um i think it's a good corollary for how he attacks public life which is to mm. baffle with mm. as we said you know historical references and to seem intelligent whilst not actually delivering any value at all and perhaps actually being fairly pernicious yeah. with this kind of buffoon view which comes yeah. across in a number of the characters that we'll we'll meet later but his lack of attention to detail is is quite staggering he, yeah. he, he uses very scant information to try and get across very broad points or to or to avoid them and i think that i think as an insight into a prime minister it's not Sybil. No. It's not, yeah. it's not yeah. you know, it's just really sort of rocking people's minds. This is, mm. it's a very, very immature, fairly racist, yeah. pretty redundant, dull, um, and, and, and scary, scary text. And yeah. It, I think, yeah, it, it, it's often said that kind of um, comedy is, as an art form, ages quicker than any other. But I would say that whatever this is, because it certainly isn't comedy, no. it ages even faster. Like it, it, it is only 2004, which doesn't feel like that long ago. And, and in reality, it isn't really that long ago. But it feels like it, this could have been written in 1804 and it would still be offensive. <laughs> <laughs> What's um, interesting about what it reveals about Johnson, the character, and Johnson, the person, is he clearly thinks, and this is a classic old boy trait, because he clearly thinks he's very intelligent. And that is kind of his public 
mm. persona yeah, yeah. and public perception is that uh, of someone who is intelligent. But it's weird in reading this novel that his he throws all these kind of um, obscure references and classical, uh, but his kind of presentation of intelligence only serves to reveal a deep, deep ignorance about the world around yeah. him. And his kind of, his attitudes towards women, which will will get a lot worse throughout the book, and certainly his attitudes towards um, different faiths and, and mm. people are just shocking. Like, there's no other word for it, really. It's a terrible, <laughs> terrible piece of writing. Uh, and that's, that's sadly not the worst thing about it. No, no, it, it gets worse. And I think one of the things is that as an author, such as he is, he kind of tires of dressing it up so much so it becomes yeah. more just opaque and like it's yeah. uh, sorry transparent and it's kind of in its racism it's more obvious in its racism yeah but as a reader you kind of do become conditioned to it and i think it's mm. a really interesting um time to be in a position where that kind yeah. of bombardment you know looking at the sort of trump administration and social mm. media and the, and the current um johnson administration which is just to bombard with bullshit to mm. the point that you just kind of think well bullshit's all right yeah and I, and actually it's you have to take a step back from the book and go, no, no, this is, he's just lured me into it. There's almost nothing in the first chapter. Mm. Start to get a bit racist, you know, yeah. test, test the waters a bit. And by the end of it, he's just fully throwing out like yeah. epithets, like they're going out of fashion. And yeah. and they already were out of fashion when he was <laughs> yeah. throwing them out. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing, it, it normalizes it through repetition. And I think that that's something that's really worth looking at. A man whose character is to, is to do that. It's, yeah. it's, it's a scary, it's a scary time. And yeah. he wrote this 15 years ago. Everyone had good chance to look at him and realize yeah. the kind of man he was, but they, and it's thought, a, they thought it was it's a fucking always adventure. It's mostly autobiographical as well. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not like he's he's completely, you know. It's it's about his his mad fantasy of um, saving the world. Yeah, and his, justifying his own kind of stupid and also saving his selfish own skin. decisions. He's, yeah. he's, he's obviously fucked something up. That doesn't give yeah. anything away. But he needs to he needs to save the world in order to not have his his actual personality put out in the press. And that's, yeah. that is that's just <laughs> it's, it's absolutely mental for one. Yeah. But but that's also him. That is the man. That's yeah. who he is. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So you you've heard it. That that was the first two chapters of Seventy Two Virgins. Uh, join us, I guess, next week with episode two, where we'll be um, wading more into the slurry. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, see you then. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Oh, boy.